you just need to be perfect. Forget about all the the complaining that we love to do about somebody else or that other project or situation or put that to the side. You just be perfect. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. I'm sitting here this afternoon with my guest, John Chrome, Principal at Capgemini Invent. Hey, how's it going, John? I'm having a great day, and I barely have any cabin fever. <laughs> Somehow I feel like you're messing with me. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm having a little cabin fever. I do like to get out and about, and although I like my home and I love my wife, I want to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> understood, understood. Before we get into it, I wanted to ask everyone to please support the show by leaving a review on iTunes, and I'll read it on the air. John, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Okay. Well, it's kind of an interesting story, and it actually starts when I was a kid, around something like 12 years old, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. 12? So I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, which is not a big oil province, as you can imagine. And my <laughs> parents had nothing to do with the oil industry. They really didn't even know what it was. But they bought me this great set of books at the time through a book of the month club. It was called the Time Life Book of the Month Club. And they would send you these wonderful books about the moon or the planets or the oceans. And then we got this one called The Earth. And it mm-hmm. had these great photos and these great glossy cutaways of the Earth and showed the different layers and you know had big geology road cuts and geologists, you know, kind of looking very studiously at them. And I said, that's what I want to do. That looks like a cool job. You can be outside, there's a little bit of nature involved and it feels right for me. So fast forward a few years, and I'm writing my college applications, and believe it or not, I actually said I wanted to be a geologist for Exxon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's crazy stuff, and I, I came close. So you know, I, I go to college. I'm at Johns Hopkins. I major in geology, and I'm about to graduate as an undergrad, and it's, it's 1986, one of the big oil crops mm-hmm. of the time. And no, nobody Hell was going to yeah. hire, especially from a non-core school like that, as good as it was. And my advisor came to me. And he said, hey, why don't you go to graduate school? And by the way, why don't you get out of geology? <laughs> I was not a fantastic geology student. I played more lacrosse than I did study. And he was basically saying, you should be an engineer. You should not be a geologist. And he suggested <laughs> petroleum engineering. And believe it or not, at the time, I really didn't even know what that was. I did some research. And a year later, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles and I went to USC. I got a master's and then was aroused about for a summer. And then went to work properly for mobile. While living in California? Oh, yeah, yeah. California has a, an active oil industry. Well, I know about Bakersfield. Yeah. I've been to Bakersfield. Yeah. So LA is just two, two and a half hours south of Bakersfield. So I was aroused about um, in between two years of grad school. And then I moved to Bakersfield and worked in one of those small little oil field towns outside of Bakersfield for mobile and then for Shell for about 12 years. Wow. Yeah. So kind of a crazy tour. So I, I didn't become a geologist at Exxon, but I became an engineer at Mobile. And you know, by today's standards, that's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, considering Exxon Mobile. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I'm a bit of a split personality, you know, because there's this 
this tug of war, this tug of power between geologists and engineers. And I'm kind of, you know, a bit of a mixed identity. I get it. It's really neat because normally, and just from an operator's point of view, working for one, I just remember seeing those two departments kind of butt heads. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the fun of it. That's the good, the good fun of it. So it sounds like you might have a little internal conflict. <laughs> I'm very confused sometimes. <laughs> Great. So let's talk about what you're doing now, Capgemini and Ben. So I actually worked for Capgemini 2007 to 2009. Spent almost 10 years at BHP Billiton and then came back here recently. Generally, what, what, okay, what made you do that? So, you know, it was what made me go back to BHP or what made me come out of BHP? Both. Because, I mean, okay, that's, so you, you, what, what, you left and went right. back. So, I mean, there was something so I was there. Consulting, so, I had done 12 years of mobile and Shell in Bakersfield. And then, after that, about nine years in consulting with Anderson, Accenture, IBM, and Capgemini. While well, Capgemini... I was delivering a piece of work on maintenance and integrity to BHP, and BHP ended up being one of those places where a bunch of ex-mobile people were. Mm -hmm. One thing led to the next, and at the right time, an ops manager moved out of Trinidad, and I interviewed for the job. And it was right in my sweet spot. I knew some of the senior leaders there, and they gave me a chance. Lo and behold, I left consulting and came back into industry proper, moved the whole family Mm -hmm. from a beautiful Northern California home to Trinidad. And then two years later, the UK. And then finally, the last four or five years here in Houston between Eagleford and Houston itself. And then it was just time. DHP was in shale. I wanted to do something a little different. So it was mm-hmm. just time. You know how sometimes you just feel like it's the time to move on. And for me, oh, it's yeah. time to move on. Yeah, you kind of feel restless yeah. and uh, stagnant. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you want to do something different, perhaps. Right. So, you know, that, that sums up exactly how I felt at the time. I had always stayed in touch with good friends at Capgemini. They were doing some interesting things. So I rejoined, and believe it or not, I went to work on March 2nd. So basically, I did this. All this, that's me, March mm-hmm. 2nd. I brought, I brought all <laughs> this upon us by joining Capgemini. But generally speaking, what do I do? I, I develop and implement improvement projects, usually kind of with an underlying technology in oil and gas companies. That's what I do. Okay. You don't have to explain that a little further because that's so, it's well, so broad. broad. So, I mean, it could be as something as, you know, helping the field workforce adopt some digital technologies and putting good process and procedure around that. It could be about developing a maintenance and integrity program and helping them really up their game to reduce premature failure and increase asset integrity. It could be better maintenance management applications, whether it's SAP or something else. And we actually Mm -hmm. help convert the systems or do the systems work. So you're right. It is very broad, but it also is a lot of stuff under that umbrella. Yeah. So what's so funny is when you and I first connected and started talking and you brought up, you know, half of the people I've interviewed on here. Well, it's not half, but you know, and some of, yeah. Oh, it's pretty close. there's, There's a good number of people I knew. And that's what really caught my eye when I started looking at this. This podcast is, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know her. So that's just crazy. It's a small world. Yeah, I just thought that was so funny. Just It just it shows how close-knit our industry really is. It really is. is. And, Especially during this time. I mean, goodness. Oh, and, and to make it even more consolidated, when you're here in Houston, I mean, you're seeing people in the grocery store that you know, and you're seeing people in the Little League field. And this is not an exaggeration, but something like 20 of my closest friends that I broke out with as a young engineer at Bakersfield are all here mm-hmm. now. And I mean, all here. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, my, yeah, it's it's amazing to me. 
They followed you this yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. Instead of, you following John Matson. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we all ended up here. It's crazy. It's like the center of the oil universe, you know? It's like a black hole, not even light can escape. Yeah, yeah. And what, and I just, it's crazy the times we're in. We're all isolated, but we're all together at the same time. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Strange. I mean, I probably talked to five ex mobile people that I broke out with 25 years ago, you know, just last week, just keeping up. And, you know, that wasn't the first time I've called them in a year. I talked to them a month before that and two months before that. So, well, let's kind of go back and talk about, you know, you kind of made a lot of your own decisions just based off of, you know, being stagnant and, and feeling like you need more challenge and or just something new. Let's talk about maybe some of the the hard times. I mean, obviously, you've been through a couple of downturns since you started in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but other than that, I mean, what's some real challenges you had to go through? Well, I mean, I think in general, they come in kind of two flavors. They're the ones that you kind of don't have much control of based on things like oil price. And if I remember right, this is my fifth or sixth major downturn. So, you know, those are the times when companies are a bit desperate. And, you know, you don't have, you don't always have the choices that you might want to have about your future. You take the assignment right. given and, you know, you might even get laid off or something like that. So, you know, what do you do then? You just try to stay sane, help other people to the extent you can, and just keep moving forward. I mean, that's the that's my mantra in a situation like that. Just keep moving that ball forward. A yard at a time, a half a yeah. yard at a time, just keep moving forward. And then there's the other kind, which is a little more self-induced, where it's just a really tough work environment, whether it's a really challenging project, or perhaps there's people you just don't agree with or get on with very well, or you know something's happened inside the company that doesn't really touch other companies. So it's you know it's kind of very specific to what you're working on. And, you know, the only thing I can say there is, you know, you just have to, again, keep moving forward, but you got to, you also have to maintain a bit of steadiness because there's always a day after. So whether you've got this terrible project you're working on with this group of people you might not love, you know, you got to get through it because five years from then, assuming you're in the same company, you're going to have to work with those same people. So, you know, there's a level of kind of maturity, a level of wisdom you've got to exhibit to get through it with a bit of a plum because there is a day after. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So true. There is a future. There is a future. Now, what that future holds is, you know, up to everybody, really, if you think about it. So if you had one piece of advice to give the audience, what would that be? I only get one piece after all these years? Well, I mean, you you can give me a plethora. (laughs) I know it doesn't matter. If you've got more than one piece of advice to give our audience, I think they would absolutely appreciate that. I would appreciate it. I mean, I think what Aaron Burr told Alexander Hamilton still rings true today. Talk less and smile more. I mean, (laughs) I was hoping you were going to rap about it, dude. I, I can rap a little I was bit like, of Please you rap. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm not going to put you I do think there's some wisdom to that, right? I mean, everybody should probably talk a little less and listen a little more. I agree with that. I had a piece of advice from a friend of mine. This was about 10 years ago, and it kind of it shocked me at how simple it was, but it was really liberating for me. And I was asking for him for advice, and he says, you know, just kind of shaking his head, looking down, and he finally pulls up and says, just be perfect. Just be perfect. And it sounds so simple and it's almost trite. It's kind of management hyperbole. At the same time, you know, it really demanded that I consider that so much of my fate is in my own hands and, you know, I shouldn't be blaming or talking about other people and, you know, inheriting a lousy project from the prior guy and all that stuff. It's just go to work and do everything you can to make it a perfect day 
and then do it again tomorrow. And, you know, all the things that I, all these little psychological barriers that we all put in front of us all the time, mm-hmm. many of them with that statement just kind of evaporate. Just be perfect. Well, I'm a perfectionist over here. So just be perfect is like, that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a challenge. Nobody's ever perfect every day. Well, right. But boy, if you think about, you just need to be perfect. Forget about all the the complaining that we love to do about somebody else or that other project or situation or put that to the side. You just be perfect. Yeah. And not that I was perfect, but it really liberated me to, to perform much better. So I was always grateful for that. Good. That's, that's good. I like that. Just be All right. Do you have more advice? I do. You know, particularly as young people, it's easy. And I'd say, say three months ago or three years ago as a young person in particular, it's easier to be a little picky about what you want to do. You know, they want to do operations engineering, but not completions engineering. They want to do reservoir engineering, but they don't want to be a foreman. You know, and the list goes on like that. And, well, my advice is learn as much as you can. And, and to learn as much as you can, you got to take on assignments, and do things that get you out of your comfort zone that you might not normally volunteer for, but are good for you in the end. I mean, it's a proverbial get up at six o'clock in the morning and do that one lap around Memorial because you know it's. It yeah. makes you better, makes you stronger. And, you know, I think the analog is, is really good in that, you know, taking you on that job, it's only two years. It's literally not going to kill you. And boy, is it going to add to your resume and your capability. So it's an investment in yourself. If you always take the high road, the easy road, what you want to do, you might have more fun. You might be comfortable, but you are not as valuable and you can't learn as much. Yeah, I think it prepares you more. In a way. So it kind of keeps you from having that surprise of, oh, I didn't know this is how this worked in this part of the project and so on and so forth. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, it absolutely makes you better. Yeah, it gives you another perspective. So many right. people have just a singular perspective. They've been on that same mountaintop for so long. I mean, being mm-hmm. on other mountaintops makes you better. Couldn't agree more. So what book influenced you and why? So I would say there's really two of them, one more recently and one a long time ago. So back in the late 80s and the early 90s, mobile in particular was getting really deep into total quality management, which was the precursor for a lot of the Lean and Six Sigma stuff you hear about today. I was going to say that sounds like something. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was one of the guys that was doing some of that work kind of as an internal consultant. And I really enjoyed it. And there was a book that we were using at the time as a way to teach people something new or illustrate different principles. And it was called ZAP, Z-A-P-P, exclamation point, the lightning of empowerment. And it was written by two guys named Byam and Cox. And believe it or not, it's a little paperback thing. It's probably 100 pages. The font is very big. You can read the whole thing in about two hours. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't need my glasses. You don't need your glasses, no matter your age. <laughs> And it talks about um, kind of better behaviors in the workforce, talks about what things you might measure, what is quality and what is not. And at the time, it was just a highly illuminating book. I've since used it in probably five different assignments since the early 90s, each time with great success because it never goes out of style. So in the workplace, that's had a, a big effect on me. Have you ever heard of Zap, The Lightning of Empowerment? No, I actually haven't. No, I haven't. I will send you a copy of the cover and you can get it. It's a, it's a really good book. And it's a short read. And the other one cool. is I, I did, on a serious note, I, have, I did read the biography of Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow, which the play was based on. And boy, what a life. And, you know, it kind of reminds you how easy we have it. And 
Oh, I yeah. Mean, he, you know, all the founding fathers, including him, I mean, these were such incredible people. They spoke three or four languages by the time they were 12. They knew differential equations or trigonometry. And, you know, they were all these people of the Enlightenment. They were doing amazing things by the time they were in their 20s and 30s. Really inspirational stuff. And boy, I, you know, it's hard to compare yourself to a founding father and not feel like you've fallen short. But these people have really done amazing things. And I think it just inspires me to think about what are the big things that I could do, you know, with my time. I mean, these are men that did once in a millennium kind of things. Really inspiring. Yeah. Have you, have you spent much time around the founding fathers? Because it's amazing. I have a little bit. It's been a minute. It's been a couple of years. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a yeah. minute. Yeah, I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you the last time I I did look into all that. But you know, with with having kids and stuff, that comes back up here and again. And I think that's probably the last time. My daughter's actually obsessed with the play. Oh, Hamilton, there you go. So. so there you go. Yeah. So you should read. You should yeah, read the Constitution and the Federalist Papers. <laughs> the Federalist Papers are tough. <laughs> I need the translator. You're no kidding. Thank you. No kidding. It's not, it's not easily written. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, the language is tough, and it's got three different authors. The language is tough. It's like reading Shakespeare yeah, almost. Yeah. I oh man, that gets me. Oh, I can't even make it through a sentence with Shakespeare. I'm just like, I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'd rather do trigonometry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, what is your most used business tool? My most used business tool. You know, I would probably say my ears. That's fair. You know, so think of it in a different angle. Some people are going to say Excel or some people are going to say Outlook or some other sophisticated analytical tool. But being a good listener, I think, has been so useful to me in hearing what other people have to say, hearing their opinions, whether it's a critique of my work or listening to their own challenges so that I can really fine tune the solution I'm trying to craft for them. And that kind of goes back to your advice, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talk less, smile more. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, so I think the more that you can listen and listen generously and with empathy and looking for understanding, I think has always been helpful. I'm not sure I've always been great at it. I think particularly as young people, you know, we have a tendency to talk more than we listen. But the older I get, better I think I'm using the, the, the tools that I have at my disposal with my ears. Well, I tell you that that's definitely one of my gifts is I can just sit here and listen. Are you listening? Can... Or are you ignoring me? I can't <laughs> definitely okay, listen to meant. you. That's what I meant. <laughs> Thanks for checking, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, no multitasking. You're probably on Facebook right now or something. Oh no, I can't do that. I I have to focus in because I mean it takes squirrel. You know, <laughs> that's it. That's all I got to say about that. I have to be facing what I'm doing. And just do my best to focus and stay part of the conversation. I mean, that's that's what this is all about. But your ears are your most used business tool. And I really appreciate that. I, like I said, it's a gift of mine. But who would you say is your most respected competitor? Oh, you're not going to force me to mention names. I mean, I think... You don't know. Yeah. You actually, I. it's okay if you don't want to mention so, their I names. Mean, actually, I don't require anybody to do that. You can talk okay. of them. That's fine, I mean, too. I think, our, I think our competitors are well-known. I mean, we all come from like a big four, big six consulting background. Right. But in this, you know, in the last two months, you know, maybe the, the biggest competitor to the work we do now is probably, you know, some of the some of the clients doing their the, that work themselves they might not normally do. I mean, because they're right, they're having to run. Lean. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a weird way to say competition, 
But ultimately, you know, competition, you know, one way to think about it is what's the work that you do that someone else could do as well. And right now, other people are doing it. It's not necessarily from an external competitor standpoint. So how long do you think it's going to be until that's no longer an issue and things kind of get back to normal? So, you know, I do wonder if there is going to be a back to normal. I know. Gasoline demand is down by, I've heard something like 50 or 60%. And even if it goes back up, it's never going to be 100% to where it was. I mean, and had it fallen at the time, just 5 or 10%, that would have had a, an impact on the markets. So let's say it goes from right. 60% down to 20% down. That's huge. Yeah. And, you know, then you've got jet fuel that's going to be down. I don't know anybody that's ever going to get on a cruise ship again. So, you know, all the fuels that we use are going to be in much lower demand. And meanwhile, you know, we're going to have to nibble at this tremendous amount of storage yeah. Capacity. Like, yeah. And there's still overcapacity today. And that's going to take months, months and months to really ramp down. So you're still overproducing today and you're going to be overproducing tomorrow. And it's going yeah. to take some time. People are going to have to really make some tough choices in this next few weeks. So, um, yeah. well, I mean, but it's looking up because everything's, especially Texas, is starting to slowly open reopen and letting people out of their houses and yeah i wonder about that i think that's what we and i really i really feel like once that starts to really happen that things will start to get better because we're using the petroleum we're using the gas we're using all those things yeah i mean it gives us mobility it gives us access it gives us you know things like that but you know so we can open but ultimately it's going to be the consumer confidence that really is going to drive that so you know, you could open the restaurants down the street for me today. I don't think anybody would be in them until we've got confidence right. that, you know, this thing is behind us or we can weather it in a different way. So I think it might be a year or two, maybe more. Yeah. Everything is probable right yeah. now. When was the last time you filled up your gas tank? Funny you say that. So last week I took advantage of the low price because I had half a tank and I filled it up. Before that was probably two months ago. I know. And I even the few days I went to the office, which, you know, wasn't many, I work mm-hmm. close to the gallery and I, I work at the gallery, but I work close to I live close to the gallery. So I didn't use much gasoline anyway. But you know, yeah. at this rate I wouldn't have to fill up for another two or three months easily. Well, I'm just bummed because I just bought a new car and at the end of January and I filled the tank up twice. <laughs> <laughs> and if you bought a new car like, since then the price has probably gone down like fifteen percent. Oh man. I should have waited. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because you knew it was coming. Right, exactly. No, I did not. <laughs> so what's your most important lesson learned? So I go into a lot of meetings and I hear a lot of leaders stand up and wave their arms and they're always talking about low-hanging fruit. Let's attack the low-hanging fruit. Let's get after the low-hanging fruit. There's got to be low-hanging fruit. And we've been saying that since at least I've been in the oil industry, so that's 33 years or something. What does that mean exactly? Oh, it means that we think that we've got some easy opportunities to make an improvement, that somebody forgot to walk into, somebody walked into the room and forgot to turn the lights switch on. So it should be easy to capitalize on, easy to identify, easy to realize the benefits. And I'm not a big believer that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit anywhere. Now, if you want to stop doing certain things, in terms of your business, you know, and call that a low-hanging fruit, that's fine. You stop doing maintenance. If you want to stop drilling wells, and you call that low-hanging fruit, that's fine. But in terms of making really mm-hmm. sustainable improvements in your company, that is not a low-hanging fruit. That is not an easy task. It requires an investment of time and perhaps money to be sustainable. 
an example of low-hanging fruit is, you know, oh, yeah, we forgot to turn those five wells back on after they after the rig left, after the work. <laughs> That's, That's low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, how much of that? Gotcha. How much of that is there out there? I don't know, but that's really idiotic. Well, <laughs> and of course, it's never happened to me. Right. That's an example of low-hanging fruit. And, and leaders, particularly the higher in the organization you get, think that there's all these kinds of inefficiencies out there that are just lying around. And there's always a little bit, you know, there's no such thing as a waste-free company. But I'm not sure there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. So why is your role now important to the future of the oil and gas industry? So I think there's there's a relationship between oil companies, operators, basically, and the E&P business ecosystem. And that's evolved mm-hmm. over a number of years. So operators generally are the reserve owners, and they make decisions about field development and things of that nature. And they've strayed about doing from doing everything. I mean, there was a time when you know this company called Texaco used to own their own workover rigs. So... You know, the, oh, Texaco, man. Yeah, so the industry itself is, or they used to actually you know, do their own well completions 100 years ago or 80 years ago. So here we are many years later, and to some degree, the industry has gotten more fragmented as the service providers have gotten more specialized. And we're an example of that. So we're a specialized provider of you know, kind of technology and advisory services, and we bring new ideas, fresh perspectives, different technologies that maybe an oil company hasn't thought about or hasn't really tested or applied. We do it in other industries. We get good at it. And we can certainly apply it into an oil company context. And there are other companies in that same ecosystem that provide their own version of something very special and unique that an oil company or does well. Mm-hmm. This thing's been so wonky because everybody is podcasting right now. So kind of caught me off guard. I was like, whoa, wait. Okay. What's your favorite podcast? So, of course, this one, you have to ask a leading question. <laughs> a few years ago, I got tuned into this podcast called Tanis, T-A-N-I-S. Mm-hmm. And it's about a mythical location, series of locations around the world that do very mysterious things. And it's this reporter's experience as he tries to understand what exactly these locations represent. And I think it's interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit fantasy. It's a bit sci-fi. It's grounded in a lot of truths of the anchors around anecdotes and pieces of history that he can then build on or fill in the white spaces. So it's always got an uh-huh. element of truth to it. Oh, that's yeah, neat. neat. That sounds really T-A-N-I-S, cool. T-A-N-I-S, Tannis. Okay. And awesome. It, it should, well, that I'll name, have that, that put in the show that notes. That name should ring a bell because Tannis was the great city that was buried by a sandstorm in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <gasps> oh, neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, that brought me yeah. back. <laughs> wow. Great. Yeah, I'm definitely putting that in the show notes for anybody that's interested. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's very sure. cool. Any other ones? Those are the two biggies. There's another one I listen to, and I always get this name wrong, but it's about myths and legends. Oh, Astonishing Legends. Yeah, that's it. Oh, cool. I like stuff like that in documentaries yeah, and yeah. documentaries. And... It's about all these weird things around the world, you know, things you've never heard of. And some things you have, some things you haven't, you know, a bit of myth, a bit of legend, yeah. a bit of fact. It's pretty cool. A little bit of everything. Well, total entertainment. <laughs> What's well, awesome. Great. I mean, and everybody's got plenty to do or not so much to do right now. So um, <laughs> very important. We bring up all the podcasts we love so much. Yeah. 
But John, thank you so much for joining sure. me today. If people want to reach out to you and get to know more about Cap Gemini, how can they go about um, doing that? Email is probably the easiest. It's Jonathan.chrome, K-R-O-M-E at capgemini.com. Perhaps you can put that in the notes as well. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes too. So nobody's, you know, everybody. Yep. And you can always find me on LinkedIn easy. as well. K-R-O-M-E. Awesome. And what about your company website? Capgemini.com. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. So this concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.